Welcome to Blind Date with a Book, the podcast where three literary matchmakers set you up with your next great read using only dating app questions like, do you consider yourself a romantic? What is your dream Saturday? If tattoos only lasted one year, what would you get? What's your go-to karaoke song? This is Blind Date with a Book. Prepare to fall in love. Welcome to Blind Date with a Book, the podcast that sets you up with your next great read. We're coming at you with a special bonus episode as a little teaser before we start season two in spring 22. This episode, we are going to be bringing you recommendations for books about love, either positive experiences with love, negative experiences, family experiences, romantic, and everything in between. We cannot wait to give you some recommendations today, but Since we are celebrating Valentine's Day, I wanted to talk to our hosts a little bit about what their perception is coming up to this holiday. Elena, how are you feeling about Valentine's Day in general? So Valentine's Day, I love celebrating holidays. I love any excuse to give people presents, myself included. Um, I like like getting to tell people how I feel about them. So I do always use Valentine's Day as an opportunity to like get mushy and sentimental with my friends, with my family. This year is different from the past couple of years, because I do actually have a boyfriend. So I have someone to celebrate Valentine's Day with. And I really like getting gifts, like buying gifts. So I'm excited to see how I did. I also think that the holiday is like, frankly, like pretty ridiculous and manufactured and just puts a lot of pressure on people. So I kind of wish it didn't exist the way it does, but I am still going to celebrate it in my own way. So that's that's how I'm approaching Valentine's Day. How about you, Kristen? What's your perspective on this holiday? I'm a Valentine's Day curmudgeon, maybe surprisingly or not surprisingly, I don't know. But um, I wish that I could be more like Elena and see it as a way to extend like my warm, mushy feelings to all my friends and family. Um, I feel like I have those connections often throughout my life. Like I have wonderful long phone conversations with friends every week and I talk to my family regularly and FaceTime with my nieces. So I feel like well supported all year long and Valentine's Day comes around and it just seems like this strange extra day where people get really goofy. What it is good for, I will say, is going to the CVS, you know, the next day and getting all that discounted candy. But otherwise, I, I yeah, I can't be bothered. I So I'm the old married in the crew. I've been married for literally a decade, which makes me sound ancient. But <laughs> my husband and I don't super celebrate uh, Valentine's Day. I will say that I'm sort of a romantic all year long. One of the things I, I dislike is when media only covers romance novels in February as if they sort of spring into being for just 28 days a year. (laughs) I think that it's kind of ridiculous when when that happens. And I will say that as a parent, the pressure for Valentine's Day is ridiculous because some some families will bring like tailored Valentines and like little boxes and all these really fantastic treats. And I'm totally a buy random cards from Walgreens kind of girl. Uh, So (laughs) I think I think it is what you make of it. And hopefully 
our recs today will will hit some of the different areas that you're thinking about for this holiday, or maybe you keep Valentine's Day in your heart all year long. I forgot about the pressure that parents must be under with school and all of the Valentine boxes and cookies and things that you guys probably have to bring to school. Although I will say that I enjoy getting those little box card Valentines from my nieces every year. Like That is a highlight of my Valentine. Yeah, but there is so much pressure on this holiday, even from when you're a little kid. And like, mm-hmm. I guess when you're a kid, it's easier because you know you're getting a Valentine. Everybody has to give everyone a Valentine. But the like gist of the holiday is, okay, are you special enough to be getting a Valentine <laughs> from someone? And that kind of continues your whole life. And that is ridiculous. And so I think you should we should be reading romance novels year round and making people feel special year round. And so if you're listening to this, we think you're special and worthy of a Valentine. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is our Valentine to you, our dear yeah. listeners. That's okay, right, that's right. Let's jump into our recommendations then. I can't wait to get some of these books. Um, if you can, when you're explaining the book a little bit, tell us where it lies on that spectrum of romance and what kinds of relationships we might see. So Elena is going to kick us off with her first recommendation. So this definitely is a recommendation in line with how I want to celebrate Valentine's Day, which is celebrating all different kinds of love. The book is called The Object of My Affection by Stephen McCauley, and it was first published in 1987. It is a love story about the many different forms that love can take in a person's life, even if it's not like the conventional romantic way. And so often in pop culture, it seems that romantic attachments are valued above all. The two main characters, Nina and George, know that they're soulmates, even if they're not attracted to each other in that way. When Nina announces that she's pregnant suddenly and unexpectedly, their perfect friendship union is thrown into question because society doesn't really have a family unit for a gay man and a straight woman to raise a kid together. Nina's boyfriend wants to leap into marriage, and George wonders what his life will be like without his primary love in it. And he wonders how he's going to fill that hole. He knows he might lose Nina. Macaulay's really warm, inviting prose keeps the story bopping along with humor, even as it skims these pretty big ideas about family and what kind of loves are built for the long term. The book is an absolute delight to read, and it's absolutely worth reading because then you get to see the movie adaptation starring Paul Rudd and Jennifer Aniston. That is the object of my affection, and it is not, I put it on the scale of like from romantic to friendship, it's definitely squarely in the middle because there's a lot of different relationships in the in the book. Even though the center relationship is a friendship, there's definitely romantic uh, simmerings on the on the back burner and sometimes the front burner, depending on what chapter. Oh my gosh, can I go next? Because my book is actually in conversation with this one pretty pretty clearly. I think. Yeah, go for it. Okay, so my first recommendation is going to be a book that I put off reading for a while because everyone kept telling me how much I was going to love it. And that when you get that kind of recommendation, sometimes it's like, oh, I hope they don't oversell it. But I ended up adoring this book. It's The Gunkle by Stephen Rowley. And it's a hilarious book, especially if you listen to it on audiobook, where Stephen is the, the audiobook narrator. He does a fantastic job. So the book itself sounds like it's super sad. Um, It starts in kind of a sad place. Patrick, the main character, finds out the news that his best friend, and also uh, she became his sister-in-law, has passed away. And because of how his brother is doing um, with the grief and with other life events, he gets custody of the two children of that relationship, Maisie and Grant. Now, Patrick is a gay man, a celebrity who had been part of a sitcom years ago. So he has kind of a fading celebrity and he has zero interest in raising children (laughs) and his relationship with 
the mother who has passed away is a firm part of how he's approaching his relationship with these children. Not only does he have to learn how to love and take care of them and get this really clear, cool uncle relationship and caretaker relationship, but he gets to introduce the children, Maisie and Grant, to who their mother really was back in college and how their relationship really impacted his life. I loved a lot of the relationships in this book. There's a a romantic tie that Patrick gets to have later on with with a, a cute dude. Um, but there's also this interesting neighbor relationship uh, that there's a thruple that lives next door. And it's one of the few instances of polyamory that I've seen represented really well in fiction. And it was just a delight to see. So for a book that has good family ties, friend ties, and romantic ties, I cannot recommend a book more highly than The Gunkle by Stephen Rowley. Kristen, what's your first pick? Well, I'm going to take a left turn. <laughs> Uh, it, it is. My first pick is called uh, The Book of the Most Precious Substance. It's an erotic thriller about the occult and the rare book trade by Sarah Gran, who is a mystery writer. So it's got none of your warm, fuzzy feelings, but it is really fun. And somehow that crazy combination of, of genre and um, subject matter really works to propel the book along. It's about bookseller Lily Albrecht, who has had a real string of bad luck. Her fiction career has long since fizzled out, and she's doing her best to stay afloat by selling used books. It's all in service to care for the love of her life. And this part actually is quite lovely. Um, she really did love her husband, Abel, who is a brilliant academic um, and who just happened to succumb to early onset dementia. There's this wonderful scene at the beginning of the novel where they meet and um, she kind of describes him as sort of having like this razor sharp mind. I think he has lots of tattoos and is very adventurous, but also has the like charismatic good looks of an old time movie star. And I was like, who is he? Uh, I'm interested. <laughs> um, but, you know, she has to go into the, the book trade to pay all the bills once his um, health deteriorates. So when a fellow bookman approaches Lily to ask for her help in finding a mysterious 17th century manuscript, the book of the most precious substance, she seizes the opportunity to strike it rich and sets out on a quest with a sexy librarian to find one of the last remaining copies. Gran throws in lots of red herrings along the way, because what would an erotic thriller be without a few murders, a few practicing magicians, and uh, sex magic? So this book is plenty of fun, but it does have some pretty dark edges, especially at the end. So fans of the film The Love Witch or Deborah Harkness's Oxford Trilogy should absolutely pick it up. Just don't expect a happy ending. I think the most fantastic thing about that is that like going into the book trade is going to pay off your bills. <laughs> you have to find the right buyer. <laughs> it's the you know, occult are- book trade. Yeah, these these are definitely like the rare first editions. You're getting them in front of people who have a lot of money. But yeah, it is a precarious kind of I love that though. I think that's got such amazing vibes. I'm going to have to look that one up. Yeah, I can like see it before my eyes. I love books about books. And I also went on a rant the other day about how I think the erotic thriller needs to come back in a major way. We need more movies, more TV shows, and more erotic thriller books. I mean, even just the genre is is enthralling. Erotic thriller. Like, yes, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, it's nice to see. I mean, there has been like a little resurgence of Jane Campion's in The Cut, which is an erotic thriller starting starring Meg Ryan, um, I think because of Jane Campion's new movie. But it's it's an interesting film, and it kind of tanked Meg Ryan's career because people were so used to seeing her as this, you know, girl next door, queen of the rom-com. Okay. 
All right, Elena, what vibes do you have uh, for your next pick? So my next pick, we're going to go the conventional romance novel route because whenever people are coming to me for recommendations for romance novels, 99% of the time I tell them to start with these books. The Brown Sisters Trilogy by Talia Hibbert. The books are called Get a Life, Chloe Brown, Take a Hint, Danny Brown, and Act Your Age, Danny Brown. And they were published between the years of 2019 and 2021. They're rom-coms in the sense that they're legitimately funny. Like I got the same laugh out loud vibe reading the incredibly witty dialogue that I did reading Angus Thongs and Full Frontal Snogging as a teenager. And those are still like my gold standard for like what a rom-com should be. They really have a lot of heart too. Each of the books follows one of the three Brown sisters journeys with love as their relationships push them to confront their blockages and their areas of resistance. I appreciate Hibbert's deft handling of things like trauma, especially residual trauma from past relationships, because that's really relatable. And in these books, relationships do become forces for change of for change and transformation, which in addition to all of the steamy stuff, that really is what romance novels are about, the way that relationships can change us and make us better people, relationships of all forms. And also as someone who's super close to their sister, I really love seeing the way that the three sisters interact with each other in all three books. You really get to know them through the eyes of each sister too. So it's sort of like kaleidoscopic. And um, it's also fun to read all three because you can decide which of the leading men or the leading women is your favorite and they're all so likable, you're going to have trouble choosing. So those are Talia Hibbert's Brown Sisters trilogy. You can start with any of them, but I would just read them in order because uh, I have a Virgo rising and that, that's how I would do it. So feel free to do it your way though. <laughs> Elena, I think that your matches and my matches are dating because <laughs> the one that I picked for my rom-com pick has been described as a YA Talia Hibbert. And it also would appeal to people who love um, Nicola Yoon. So it's called Happily Ever Afters by Elise Bryant. And I think that even adults who may not have read in the YA space before would really appreciate this book, especially if you have a love of romance novels and tropes in general. The main character is Tessa Johnson, and she's 16, and she's starting at a new sort of performance art high school, which I love performance art high school books. That's just kind of a thing that I, I love is through threads in my reading. She's the only person in her group that writes genre fiction or writes romance fiction, and that's what she's always loved. She has this complex about sharing her work. There's also a really brooding artist uh, who's in her workshop group who she thinks is totally her possible Prince Charming. She has never been kissed or dated before, and her best friend thinks that she needs to make a to-do list of things in order to know that she understands what love really is and get over her writer's block. But there's also a cute boy next door who ends up being a great friend and maybe more, question mark. Um, so this is a good book to start with, Happily Ever Afters. And then Elise Bryant's second book in the series just came out recently. So once you finish this one, you'll be able to dig right into the second book and pick up where the story left off, which I think is also very satisfying. That sounds wonderful. And I also am happy that you gave Nicola Yoon a shout out because she writes such beautiful love stories. I mean, I think she's another YA author who you can read if you're an adult and really be swept away by because like you get the immediacy of teenage love, but really beautiful prose and like the sentences strike you when you read them. I think the one I'm thinking of is The Sun is Also a Star. Is that the one that's like in New York City over one day? I don't remember the name of it. I think so. I think so. I think that's it. It's so good. Oh my God. So this, this book sounds great though, Rachel. I want to check it out. Yeah, it's great. All right, Kristen, what's your second 
read. Okay. My second pick also has a blocked writer and kind of a brooding, handsome man character. It's just a a much darker version of the storyline. This is Julia May Jonas's debut novel, Vladimir, a thrilling exploration of lust and power lurking in the corners of where else? The English department. We're all we're all uh, good lust and, and power storylines originate. <laughs> the unnamed narrator is a literature professor married to a man who's recently been censured for his student affairs. So this book kind of opens with a very like hashtag me too feeling, but it's told from this perspective uh, of an an older woman kind of confronting these these viewpoints at the college, um, which is really fascinating. So at first she seems to not so much be hurt by her husband's transgressions as she is surprised by everyone else's Puritan streak. And for me, that's one of the most interesting things about this novel is how Jonas gives voice to the generational gap of the gender wars that we're currently experiencing. And she does it through this incisive, controlled, observant, older woman narrator and her voice. But she doesn't stop there. The cover, if you wind up Googling this book, features kind of like a male torso languorously lounging. And that is Vladimir, a hot young fiction writer on the come up. The narrator becomes obsessed with his novel and I think like a little bit jealous of it. And by extension, she becomes obsessed with Vladimir himself. What links will she go to capture his attention in a world that does not want to give her any attention whatsoever? So pick it up if you're looking for a love story with teeth. I am obsessed with this cover. I, I guess adore I it. A lust, a lust story. <laughs> a lust the, story. As, as the cover denotes. <laughs> like if I could get this cover blown up as a poster for my right? room, I absolutely would. It's the best cover of the decade. I mean, it, it really tells you what the, the whole book is about. It's about Vladimir. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, the font, the font, like everything is perfect. A plus, I know, A plus, and plus. that that um, emerald green color too. Oh, so yeah, that is uh, extra sensuous. So, Vlad the Love Impaler. <laughs> 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 All right, round three. We're just doing three quick picks each this time. Um, Elena, what do you got for us? I love love. I love talking about love. I love reading about love. I love talking to my friends about it, and. That is why I like the book All About Love by Bell Hooks because it is all about love. Um, we often treat the concept of love as if it's this like undefinable life upending force, very ephemeral. I sort of like it's like a mythological thing that sometimes sweeps into your life and changes everything. But as this book proposes, what if we had a shared definition of love? One that treated love as if it were a verb instead of a noun or instead of this mythic force. In All About Love, which was first published in 2000, she offers up an approach for readers to think more critically about love and in doing so get better at loving because she thinks that loving is a skill. So the idea that stuck to me most is that definition of love that she provided because I think that it once you have that in your mind, it could really like change the way you approach relationships if you could agree on what love is. So she takes the idea from M. Scott Peck, and I'm just gonna read what the definition is. Love is the will to extend to extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another's spiritual growth. So it's sort of like a lofty idea, but once you put it into practice, it could really change the way you approach relationships. So I think on Valentine's Day might be an occasion to like read about love and read about the way that it can function in your life, not only in romantic settings, but in all different ways. And reading about love is is 
like a, I think it's a really useful exercise and I will say this book changed my life. So I'm very happy it came into my life. Thank you, Rebecca Farley for recommending it to me. And now I'm happy to recommend it to more people. Excellent. Okay. Kristen, what is your third round pick? My third round pick is one of my favorite books um, about marriage and writing and in the, in kind of keeping with the theme of my books about, uh, love and lust that are also about other books um this this pick fits right in this is helen oyami's fourth novel mr fox um it's it's definitely picking up on all the threads of the bluebeard fairy tale and rebecca so if you like those books and you like books about books you'll really get into this sort of genre bending uh, literary take on those stories. Um, Mr. Fox is a writer who can't seem to stop killing his female leads, and Mary is a figment of Mr. Fox's imagination who's determined to teach him a lesson. Try as Mr. Fox might to outrun Mary in his fiction, she's always one step ahead of him. This is a very much sort of like shaped like a puzzle box, stories within stories, and it's the ultimate examination of toxic masculinity. Even though Oyami offers no neat answers, which if you've read any of her other books, you know is in keeping with her style. It's always so thrilling to watch her work. So that is Mr. Fox by Helen Oyeyemi. Excellent. You know, I am embarrassed to admit I haven't read any Helen Oyeyemi yet, so maybe this will be the one I pick up first. That sounds really good. Okay. Um, I am tempted to cheat, and I might because I'm talking about small press reads. Um, One of them is a friend of the pod, Christopher Gonzalez, we had him as a guest in season one. His collection, I'm Not Hungry But I Could Eat, came out last year. And it's a collection of short stories that looks into the lives of bisexual and gay Puerto Rican men. And the stories are so wide ranging, but in general, they have these hints of humor and tenderness and longing just in every single type of relationship, whether it's in relationships between um, former lovers or perhaps future lovers or even friends, that idea of gazing upon each other and wanting more from those relationships. For me, as someone who has never been on a dating app, because I sort of started, I dated and found my husband before those were popular, it gave me the same sense of looking into someone's life in little bits and pieces like you might on one of those apps. And I thought it was a really masterful collection. And if I'm going to cheat and add a bonus rack, which I might, and you can cut it out if you need to, but the 2019 collection from Splitlet Press that is called This, This, This is Love, Love, Love by Jennifer Wartman has 13 amazing short stories that obviously fit with today's theme. There's a really interesting short story in this collection about a chronic depressive that turns into an animal psychic for a television program to help fix the relationship with her dog-loving dad. There are characters um, that have these really strange, eccentric relationships. Um, But what I really love about Wartman's prose is that there's lots of dialogue and you really have to read into the character relationships in that dialogue. So if you're not someone who's read a lot of short stories before, you find it a hard genre to get into, this is a really accessible collection that reads almost like a play or a screenplay, and you can really hear those character interactions. So I know I cheated, but two short story collection recommendations. I'm Not Hungry, But I Could Eat by Christopher Gonzalez that came out from SFWP last year. And then This, This, This is Love, Love, Love by Jennifer Wartman from Split Lip Press. I don't think that that's cheating. I think that that's just in the spirit of Valentine's Day. There can never be too much love. 
<laughs> there you go. <laughs> Especially love for small presses. We love yes. you guys and the work you do. Well, we cannot wait to bring you our second season of episodes. We've started recording them and they're fantastic so far. So keep an eye out on your feed for the next season of Blind Date with a Book coming soon. And in the meantime, you can catch up with us on Instagram at bookmeetcute or on Twitter at bookmeetcute, or you can find out all of our old episode information at blinddatewithbookpod.com. Thanks for listening to Blind Date with a Book. Our show is produced and co-hosted by Kristen Evans, Rachel Mans McKenney, and Elena Nicolau. Our showrunner is Rachel Mans McKenney, and our sound editor is Elena Nicolau. Kristen Evans handles web design and newsletter production. Our theme music was written by Alex Bozzi, and our logo was designed by Chelsea Hill. If you like today's show, please subscribe, rate, and review Blind Date with a Book on Apple Podcasts. Ratings make it even easier for other listeners to find us and join the fun. We'll be back in two weeks with a new guest and more books to recommend. Until then, we hope you're falling for the next book on your TBR pile, whatever it might be.